one, as um, Alex was speaking, I was, and we saw that food, I just wondered <laughs> whether it's made you hungry. But I am reminded that when Jesus was tempted, he said that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so God's word is often considered as the bread of life that we need to eat regularly, not just on the weekends. And so as we come to God's word, can I ask that we bow our heads and pray? Father God, it is good that we can come into your presence. Thank you for opening up the way for us to call you Father. Even though you are the great and mighty God, you have allowed us to come into your presence in this very special relationship, and we say thank you so much for that. And Father, we thank you for your word. It is the living word. And I pray, Father, that as we spend some time now looking at it, that you will speak to our hearts. You will minister to each one of us exactly where we are and show us what we need to know. I pray, Father, for your spirit to take control. I pray, Father, that you will calm my nerves. You will help me to speak clearly. But most of all, Father, I pray that your spirit will strive with us as individuals and deal with us at the point of our need. And so, Father, I do lift this time to you that you will be the one who is honoured and glorified and praised. And I lift these prayers to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are currently doing the series on the life of David. Uh, in the first session, we learned of the call of David to be the king of Israel to replace Saul. Saul was the first king of the United Kingdom. And the main point that we had from that sermon was that God looks at the heart. Saul had been the one chosen by the people. But God showed very much that he's not so concerned with the external appearance. He's much more concerned with the heart relationship. And so we were challenged with how is your heart? Is it right before God? And then last week we looked at the familiar story of David and Goliath. David went out and he defeated Goliath, who had been taunting the armies of Israel and then basically ridiculing the God of Israel. And so David uh, looked to God for help, and God gave him the victory over the, the giant because he trusted in God. And the question that we were asked then is, how often do we allow giants to obstruct our view of God? 
and we run away instead of facing them in the name of the Lord. And so today we're going to move on and look at the friendship of David and Jonathan. And we're going to be basically looking mainly at 1 Samuel chapter 18, 19 and 20. And if you have your scriptures, you can look and just check up on me as I go through it. Now this event takes place shortly after the defeat of Goliath. David has been brought in to talk with Saul... And we're told in verse 2 that from that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his father's house. Now, in an earlier chapter, we were told that David had been brought into the service of Saul to play music on the harp whenever Saul was tormented by an evil spirit. And I think I recall Clifford saying that he was really Saul's personal musician. Then in chapter 18, verse 3... We are told that Jonathan, who was Saul's son, made a covenant with David. And I would really like to investigate this idea of covenant more and how it had an impact on the life and actions of David. Now, we've had the word covenant used a number of times over the past few months. A covenant is a compact, an agreement an alliance, a pledge. I sometimes describe it as a very strong promise. In the scriptures, we can see God making covenants with men. He made a covenant with Noah. After the flood, he he told Noah that he would never again flood the whole world uh, to destroy it. And the rainbow was given as a sign of this covenant that he had made with Noah. We have the Abrahamic covenant, where God promised Abraham that he would build him into a great nation. And through him, all the peoples on the earth would be blessed. We have the Mosaic covenant, sometimes called the law. And then we have the new covenant. And all true believers and I want to say all true believers, have been brought into this covenant relationship with God through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus. We also see in Scripture some covenants that have been made between man and man. For example, Abraham made a covenant with a man called Abimelech. And then later on, Isaac, his son, made a covenant with Abimelech. I think it was possibly a different one, but anyway, he made a covenant with Abimelech. And now we see Jonathan making a covenant with David, because in verse 4 of chapter 18, we see, Jonathan stripped off the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Now, the giving of these articles was very significant, as it was basically saying that David and Jonathan were brothers for life. In a covenant, two become one. There's an identification of one with the other. And this reminds us that in the new covenant that was to be made later on, Jesus put on humanity. 
Philippians chapter 2 very clearly tells us that Jesus became a man. And then when we go back to the Old Testament, we read in Isaiah, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So Jesus took on humanity. He took on our sin so that when we come into the new covenant, uh, we can put on Christ's robe of righteousness. We are clothed with the righteousness of Christ so that when God looks at us, instead of seeing our filthy rags of sin, he sees the clean robe of righteousness of Christ. That's what being brought into the new covenant means. It means that we have put on Christ and his righteousness because he put on humanity and took our sin. But what's about the significance of the armor? Well, that's usually used for fighting. So in the giving of these things, Jonathan is saying that he is willing to defend David, to fight for David. And when we look at the life of David, we see several times where Jonathan was called upon to do this. In fact, uh, as we look in, uh, moving on in chapter 18 and verse 5, we learn that uh, David was sent by Saul to fight. And he was very successful at it. So much so that he was promoted to a very high rank in the army. And then when you get down to verse 6, it says, When the men were returning home after David killed the Philistine, the women came out from the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with tambourines and lutes. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. So as a result of this, Saul became angry and very jealous, and he tried a number of times to kill David. On two separate occasions, when David was playing the harp to try and uh, soothe his troubled spirit, he hurled a spear at him and tried to kill him that way. Later on in chapter 18, Saul told David that he could become his son-in-law. And the bride price was 1,000, no, not 1,000, that's a bit too many, 100 Philistine foreskins. And David's plan was, uh, now, slow down. Saul's plan was that David would go out and get killed by the Philistines. Well, David went out, but he brought back 200 foreskins of the Philistines in order to pay the bride price. When you read chapter 19, we find that Saul instructed Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. But Jonathan warned David about this and told him to hide. Then he defended David to his father Saul, and Saul seemed to relent and said, okay, I won't do anything about it, it's okay. But that was very, very short-lived because... It was after this that that Saul threw the spear at David the second time, and he escaped. One time, Saul even sent his men down to David's house and said, bring him up here even on his bed so that I can kill him. But again, David escaped. 
Then as we look at 1 Samuel chapter 20, we start to see that this covenant was very, very important between David and uh, Jonathan. David, by this point, had become very sure that Saul was going to try and kill him. But Jonathan wasn't quite so sure. So David reminded Jonathan of the covenant that they'd made, and he found he asked Jonathan to try and find out what his father's real intent was. So they devised a plan. And at the same time, in verse 16, we're told that Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David. Not just with David, but with the house of David. And the plan was that David would not dine with Saul at the new new moon festival... If he was missed, Jonathan would make an excuse for him and then Saul's reaction would tell how things were. So on the first day, Saul, yeah, David's not here, I wonder why, something must have happened, so he didn't say anything. But on the second day, when he asked where David was, Jonathan made this excuse that they had uh, worked out And Saul became so annoyed that he even threw a spear at his own son, Jonathan, to try and kill him. So this really convinced Jonathan that his father hated David and was intent on getting rid of him. So the next day, Jonathan went out to meet David and told him what had happened. And we read in verse 42, Jonathan said to David, go in peace, for we have sworn friendship in each other to each other in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. See, so the covenant's just, not just between the two of them. It's between your descendants and my descendants forever. And then David left and Jonathan went back to town. Now, I would like to just look at a couple of these Incidents later on where this covenant was very, very important. We know that David eventually became king in place of Saul, but it took some time for the 12 tribes to actually accept him as king. If we look at 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4, we read that Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. In other words, he was five years old when he found out that his father Jonathan and his grandfather Saul had been killed in battle. His his nurse picked him up and fled. But as she hurried to leave, he fell and became crippled. And his name was Mephibosheth. Now we need to understand that in those days... The practice was that when leadership changed from one family to another, the victim got rid of all those who could possibly uh, mount... um, I've gone blank on the words, but he tried to get the, the throne back again. Although I was thinking there's probably some countries today where if you speak up against the person in authority, you risk um, suddenly having an accident or 
um, being thrown in prison for some reason. But anyway, in the time of the judges, there was a man called Abimelech. He was the illegitimate son of Gideon. You might have heard of Gideon. But anyway, when Gideon died, Abimelech killed 70, not 17, but 70 of Gideon's other sons so that he could um, take authority. At a later date, there was a lady called, I shouldn't really call her a lady, but anyway, uh, a woman called Athaliah. When her son, the king, died, she seized power by trying to wipe out all of the rest of the royal family. But at that time, God intervened and one little boy was saved. But she was another one who sought to get power by getting rid of everybody that was around her. So when Saul and Jonathan were both killed in battle, this nurse obviously thought, we're in danger, and she tried to flee. And that's when Mephibosheth was injured. At some point, we're not told exactly when, but at some point later on, David remembered the covenant that he'd made with Jonathan, and he said, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? And he was told about Mephibosheth, and so he ordered that Mephibosheth should come to the palace. And it's interesting, he said, don't be afraid. Well, I could imagine that Mephibosheth could have been very much afraid. But David said, don't be afraid. I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. And so, in other words, David treated him as his own son. That was one time when the, the covenant which had been made between the families was of importance. There was another situation. Um, we're not told specifically when this happened, but in 2 Samuel 21, we're told that during the reign of David, there was a famine for three successive years. So David sought the face of the Lord. And the Lord said, It is on account of Saul and his blood-stained house. It is because he put the Gibeonites to death. Now, we need to go way back into the book of Joshua to understand what this was all about. Joshua was the man who took over the leadership from Moses. And he led the children of Israel across the River Jordan into the land of Canaan. Then God helped them capture, first of all, Jericho. After a bit of a hiccup, they captured a city called Ai. And shortly after that, they received a delegation of some people from a place called Gibeon. Now, these people had seen what had been happening, and they devised a plan to deceive the Israelites into thinking that they had come from a distant land. They weren't actually residents of the land of Canaan, but they'd come a long, long, long way. And we're told that even without inquiring of the Lord, the Israelites made a treaty. They made a covenant with these people from Gibeon only to discover three days later that instead of coming from a distant land, they had come from a very short distance. 
and they actually did live in the land of Canaan. Now, many of the people who were in the uh, tribe of, uh, in the, amongst the Israelites wanted to kill them. But the leader said, no, no, we can't do that. We've made a covenant with them. We cannot kill them. We can make them work for us, but we cannot kill them because of this covenant. And then shortly after that, the um, other kings in Canaan decided to attack the Gibeonites because of the covenant that they'd made with the Israelites. And so the Gibeonites said, oh, we've got this covenant, you have to come and help us. And so the Israelites were compelled to go and fight for the Gibeonites and against the rest of the Canaanites. And this is quite an interesting story. This is um, uh, the one where the sun stands still. But the point is that because there was this covenant arrangement, the, the people were, uh, the Israelites were compelled to defend or fight for their, government, uh, their covenant partner. Now, this would have happened in about 1400 BC. Saul was around the uh, situation and around about 12, 1020 BC, so it's almost 400 years. Saul had broken covenant and something had to be done about it. So when David found out the reason for the famine, he summoned the Gibeonites and said, what do you want me to do? And they asked for seven of Saul's male descendants to be given to them so that they could be put to death to atone for the breaking of the covenant. Now, because of the covenant that David had made with Jonathan, he did not choose any of Jonathan's descendants. He chose seven sons who were descended from Saul through Saul's daughters. But the covenant was the reason for him choosing those people and not Jonathan's descendants. So it had a very, very important part to play. David honoured his covenant with Jonathan. Now, the theme for this year is living a transformed life with genuine love for Jesus and his people. And I think as, if we look at Jonathan, we can see that he had a genuine love for his friend. He was the king's son. He was the heir to the throne. But he was willing to put all that aside and he was willing to protect David. So what kind of a friend are you? Am I? Are we trustworthy? Are we reliable? If our friend tells us something in confidence, do we keep that confidence? Do we seek to do that which is best for our friend? Do we seek to help our friends draw closer to God? Conversely, do you have friends who seek to lead you away from God, who do not encourage you in your relationship with God? Maybe if you do, 
it's time to remove yourself from that friendship. That's up to you to decide, but we need to be good friends, true friends. Covenant was very important to David. It was very important to God. How important is covenant to us? As I mentioned before, if we are a genuine Christian, we have been brought into that covenant relationship with God through Christ. We have been clothed with the righteousness of Christ. But are we living in righteousness? I know that we all make mistakes from time to time, but what's the attitude of our heart? Is it one of seeking to walk in obedience to God and his word because we're in a covenant relationship with him? Are we seeking to be transformed by the washing of the word, as it says in Ephesians. By the giving of the armor, Jonathan took on the responsibility of defending David. And actually, Christ, as our covenant partner, has taken on the role of defending and helping us. When Paul was on the road to Damascus, and he saw that bright light. It says, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. So when we are hurt, abused, ridiculed, persecuted, or suffering for any reason. Jesus knows about it because he is being hurt. He's being abused, ridiculed, persecuted, and suffering. And he's willing and able to help us in all situations. There are times when he may protect us from physical danger. I sometimes think when we get to heaven and we can see the whole picture of our life, we will be amazed at how many times he has actually physically protected us. What about when you're driving along the road and there's a hold up in the traffic? Do you get really frustrated? <laughs> or do you start to think, okay, maybe Lord, You've stopped me from being at a certain place where I would have been put in danger. I don't know. We, don't, we can't know, but I wonder how often God does protect us from physical danger. I know as we study the book of David, we can see that there were times when God actually protected him. He intervened in the situation. And I was thinking, okay, can I remember any situations which I really think God protected me? And then it came back to my mind one time when we were in Hong Kong. I had a part-time maid. She would come in three mornings a week and do 
about three hours of housework for me, for me, and this allowed me to spend more time on preparing things for the Good News Club and Bible studies. And one morning, she was vacuuming in another room, and the vacuum stopped. And I don't know why, but for some reason, I went out to where she was to see what had happened. And when I looked, I saw that the cord for the um, extension cord had pulled out of the plug. And I picked it up, and I was just going to straighten the wire that was out the end of the, the cord, and I looked around, and it was still plugged in. If I'd done that, I would have been electrocuted. And I thought, that, thank you, Lord. That was definitely one time where I felt that, that God protected me. Now, he won't always protect us physically. But I do think he does seek to protect us spiritually. We've been given his word. And in the Psalms it says, Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. It says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And when we are in difficult situations, when we're being tempted, God can bring his word back to our mind. And that can guide us, it can strengthen us, it can protect us. But we need to be in the word, taking it in so that he can then use it. But God does seek to protect us, to defend us. Do we seek to defend or fight for God? Sometimes that might mean that we need to speak out a word to somebody. Not always, but sometimes it can be. But it will always be that we seek to live in a way that is honoring to him. David and Jonathan had a true friendship. I've already asked that we consider what kind of friend we are to other people. But there is a far more important question which we need to answer for ourselves, and that is, do you have Jesus as your covenant friend? I don't know where you are, but I do know that just the fact that you're sitting in church is not necessarily saying that you are a Christian, a genuine Christian. The fact that you're sitting in church doesn't necessarily mean that everything's, shall we say, fine and dandy. You may have hurts and problems. But if you have anything that you need to talk to somebody about, Maybe making that decision to hand your life over to Christ. Maybe having doubts spoken into so that you can have an assurance in your heart. 
Maybe you just need some, someone to, to stand with you and pray and ask that God will give you the strength that you need for the coming week. But if you really do need to talk to someone to help you, there are people here who would be willing to do that. Don't let today go by without making things right with God. Being in a covenant relationship with him is the most important position that you need to be in. Doesn't matter about your education, it doesn't matter about your financial situation, it doesn't, none of these things really matter. The most important thing is, do you know Jesus? Are you in a right relationship with him? Are you living in a way that shows that you really do know him as your Lord and Savior? Let's bow in prayer. Father, thank you so much that you are patient, you are kind, you are compassionate, you are understanding, you are merciful, you are full of grace. Thank you for the love that you have shown us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that you will continue to speak to our hearts today and even during this week, that no matter where we are, no matter what we need, you will minister to us. You will help us, you will strengthen us, you will guide us. That we can be the people who really do honor you in all that we do. Father, we recognize that we are not worthy of this amazing privilege that we have. We know that it's not because of our own goodness, our own righteousness, that we have been brought into this position because your word very clearly tells us that we are sinners. But we say thank you, thank you, thank you that Christ was willing to take on the robe of humanity. Thank you that he was willing to be abused on the cross Thank you that he was willing to shed his blood for our redemption. Thank you for your spirit that has raised him to life and gives to us the hope of resurrection as well. So, Father, we want to say thank you for all the blessings that you have given to us. Thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.